Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Uh, today we come now to a really important part of our service. If you're joining with us for the first time, we'd love to open up the Bible. Here is where God so clearly speaks to us. And uh, we've been going through the book of Luke over the past few months, just uh, doing a chapter each time. And Steve did chapter 15 for us a few weeks ago, which we uh, listened to last week and uh, did a wonderful job of that. So we're going to move into chapter 16 uh, today. And uh, it's uh, a great chapter again, probably one unit of thought there which we'll look at in a moment uh, that Jesus uh, opens up for us, that Luke records for us. But just to get us in the right frame of mind thinking about where we're going to go with today's talk, uh, aren't you thankful for those indicating signs for an upcoming bend in the road and a recommended speed to drive through that bend with? You can't quite see where the road's going. But you can see a sign, and the sign might have a left-handed bend arrow, and it might have a 40-kilometre zone there at the same time as well. And what's that tell you? That sign tells you to slow down and prepare to steer to the left. Slow down and prepare to steer to the left as you see that yellow sign with the black writing on it. What are those signs? They're warning signs, aren't they? They're warning signs. Nobody's annoyed by them. We're thankful that they're there. You see, there's danger ahead if we choose not to take those signs seriously. Nobody's annoyed. We we want those signs, particularly if you're travelling a mountain road. You don't know what the next bend's going to be like. Those signs are really, really helpful for us. Jesus is going to hold up a warning sign today for us, really clear. Jesus is going to warn us today about hell. Please join with me now as we read Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through to 31. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child... Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And then he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets... 
neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Lord, we thank you today that we can uh, gather together, albeit online. God, above that, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful for this passage of scripture, Lord, as uncomfortable as it is, as stark as it is, as confronting as it is. We thank you for the warning sign that you are holding up before us right now. Holy Spirit, I pray for humility. I pray for love. I pray for compassion. As I open up this passage today, and I pray that you would open up eyes and open up ears and open up hearts to see this warning sign that comes through Moses and the prophets through your word, and that we would repent and we would trust in Christ our Saviour. Let the truth of this ring in our hearts as a warning sign from a gracious God. Lord, we ask that now, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke 16 probably is one unit of thought. There's two stories here that have a common link between them and the common link actually is about money and finances there. The first story at the start of the chapter is about this dishonest manager who's been sort of diddling the books or doing something behind the scenes and all of a sudden the owner has found out what's going on. He's about to be sacked. So what he does then is to go around and sort of all these business contacts that the owner has been dealing with, he goes and says, cut all your bills in half and pay up and settle up that way. And Jesus sort of somewhat commends him for being shrewd in what he's doing. He's not encouraging that, of course. There's a whole other story in the first passage. But Jesus ends that parable there by saying, you cannot serve God and money at the same time. So there's a picture of that there in Luke 16 in the first part of the passage. Uh, And at this point in time, the the Pharisees are listening into this. And in verse 14 there it says uh, that they are lovers of money. So Jesus is very pointed here why he's talking about this. Uh, They begin to mock him about this as well because they are lovers of money. Then Jesus moves on here to this warning passage in verses 19 and 30 which we just read about, about eternal judgment. Again here touching on a heart that is consumed by finances, riches, pleasure and money. And our big idea we're going today is judgment is coming and how we respond to God's word and what we do now determines our eternity. So judgment is coming. How we respond to God's word and what we do now determines our eternity here as we think about that. Okay, let's kick off here. Um, Here's a topic that we're going to talk about today uh, that unfortunately isn't spoken about in churches very often at all. Perhaps rarely is it brought up. What is that topic? That topic is hell. I think sometimes churches are too worried to talk about hell because they think this will give the wrong impression of who God is. It'll give this impression that God is some sort of fire-breathing dragon who just can't wait to torch people and see them smoke. It's a bit like, how can we talk about a loving God and talk about this eternal place of torment called hell. So churches, I think, begin to just pull away from this really, really important truth about who God is and what he's done. You see, if we will never fully grasp God's love and mercy without understanding the depths of hell. And we'll never fully understand God's holiness either without understanding hell. And if we leave out hell... We actually miss out on a deeper appreciation of God's grace and compassion towards us. Hell is really, really important. Hell is really uncomfortable. It's confronting. 
But it's necessary. You see, how can you have a holy God who doesn't do something about what is wrong and evil? Well, how can you have a holy God who allows evil actions to go unchecked without dealing out justice? We cannot have a God who's all loving and kind, but yet at the same time turns a blind eye to the strong, crushing the weak. You can't have that. And you cannot have a loving God who turns a blind eye to the wealthy, as it were, not giving to the poor. We cannot have a loving God turning a blind eye to unloving actions. We can't have that. He wouldn't be God if that was the case. In the perfections of God, there must be justice. There must be a place where all sin and rebellion against God's holiness is dealt with once and for all. It's an important aspect of who God is. What do you think Jesus spoke more about while he was here in his ministry on earth? Heaven or hell? What do you think he spoke more about? Jesus taught often and spoke very much about heaven. He did. Gave us great pictures of heaven. But he actually spoke about or referenced hell far more than he did about heaven. That might surprise some of you to hear that. But Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Now, this passage that we're looking at here is one of many passages that Jesus warns about hell. The word Hades there in verse 23 is actually to be understood as hell. The people of that day would have heard the word Hades there and said, he's talking about a place called hell. Hell is for real. Hell is an important part of who God is. Hell is about glorifying God and his holiness in how he deals with sin and rebellion and injustice. What is hell like? Probably a question a lot of people do want to know about. Maybe some people don't want to know about it. They'd rather just not hear about it. Well, firstly, there are many books you could read with titles like this. 23 Minutes in Hell or My Visit to Hell, where people tell their, uh, of their dreams or visions of hell. You can go to Kurong in the Christian bookstore and you can see these book titles up there. Do we go there to find out about hell? Well, I don't recommend that we build our understanding of hell on books like those. I'm not saying they're wrong as such, but what are they? They're just somebody's vision or somebody's dream or somebody's experience in their mind of what hell is like. So what is it? It's not God's revealed word to us. It's somebody's potential vision or potential dream that we can't verify whether it's 100% true or not. So I wouldn't be building my picture of hell on those books. You can read them if you like, but just hold what is written in those books really, really lightly because it's not the revealed word of God to us. Again, the Bible doesn't give us a, a, a sort of a detailed picture here of what hell is like. Jesus alludes to it many times, like I said before, more times than he does about heaven. And he says some things like this. It's a place of weeping and wailing. That probably means some sort of extreme type of never-ending sadness. Jesus also says in other passages about hell is gnashing of teeth. What he means there by gnashing of teeth, that means there's some sort of rage, extreme rage that never goes away in this place called hell. We also know that hell is never-ending. 
We can't comprehend that because we're so time-bound here in this earth. It's an eternal condition that we will never get used to. It will never end. There is no end date. There is no completion to hell. Hell also is spoken about as a place of isolation where we are separated from everything and everybody forever and forever. We also see the word fire here associated with hell. Often we get that uh, vision of, uh, or picture of fire there because it's in God's word and we, and we get this uh, idea here. And Actually in verse 24 again it says there, uh, I'm in anguish in this flame, he says at the end. So we get this picture here, this word fire also is, is included with the, the, the place called hell. Is it a literal fire? I don't think we know that for sure. You know, on one aspect, literally, you could take it to be that. But I think there's something else here that's being communicated. Is I just want to think about this word fire. See, there's one aspect of fire here that, that the Bible alludes to, and that fire is the just meeting out of God's righteous anger towards all those who rebel against him and do not bow the knee to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. Have a look at this verse with me here in Nahum uh, 1 chapter 6. It says this, talking about God. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. Here's one aspect of fire here in the place of hell. Hell will be the unrestrained wrath of God. Hell will be the unrestrained wrath of God that will be felt. I can't give it any words that describe what that will be like. It's beyond our comprehension. It's beyond our imagination what the, how bad that will be. The unrestrained wrath of God will be poured out like fire in hell. Here's another aspect of fire as I thought about this and as I read a Tim Keller sermon earlier in this week about that. What does fire do to things? When something is burnt, it's destroyed or it's disintegrated, isn't it? Uh, you imagine a bushfire, and we've all seen them go through Australia over the last couple of years. Uh, what do we see when a bushfire goes through? Homes are destroyed. They are disintegrated, aren't they, when you see this fire go through? Think about the first man and woman created in the garden. Adam and Eve were perfect perfect in every way before God, perfect in his likeness. But when they sinned, they rebelled against God and they chose to live their own way, they began to deface or destroy their humanity in the likeness of God. That's what was taking place within them. This is what sin does. It begins to, uh, we begin to be pulled apart as it were as human beings in the likeness of God. We begin to disintegrate or fall apart as a human as we sin before God. It's like a a bushfire going through our soul and it's beginning to uh, pull us apart and to disintegrate us within. We no longer resemble God the way he called us to be. We now just resemble an inward focused and a self-obsessed person with our God-given humanity within us beginning to fall apart as we reject and as we rebel against God. We actually can see this in the story here we have with the rich man and Lazarus. In verse 19, we see the rich man there. What is he? 
He has a life there that consisted of wealth and pleasure. Uh, Purple and fine linen there, you'll see in verse 19, signifies a wealthy person able to dress in all of their finery. For them, for him, the rich man, it was all about brand label fashion. They only felt complete in the latest shoes and shirts. That's where he lived in that way. We're also told there that the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. Every day. What does that mean? In other words, he filled his life uh, with all the pleasure he could cram into his days. He lived for good food and great times. He feasted sumptuously every, every day. If, there's a, if there was um, pleasure to be had with the rich man, he was all up for a weekend away, whether it was up to the snow or down to the beach or off four-wheel driving. He just lived purely for a good time. This rich man surrounded his life with pleasure and Eve. That's what made him get out of bed each day, living for the good times. And what was his vehicle to get there? Money, finances. With money, he could buy all the pleasure he could muster. He could buy all the ease he could find as long as he had money. Money had become his God. But inwardly, inwardly, the rich man was disintegrating. Inwardly, this rich man was being pulled apart. The likeness of God stamped upon his soul was being defaced. Despite all of his pleasure-filled life, he was a man falling apart on the inside. On the outside, he seemed to have it all together. On the outside, he seemed to be living the dream. On the outside, he had everything that money could buy to make him fill with pleasure. But on the inside, on the inside, he was disintegrating as a human being created in God's image. How do we know that? How do do we see that he's disintegrating? Well, you see, just outside the rich man's gate lay another man. This man was called Lazarus. Have a look at verse 20 and 21, what it tells us there about Lazarus. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. Have you ever seen such a contrast from the rich man to Lazarus? He's the complete opposite here to the rich man. Lazarus has nothing. He's a beggar. There's no social security in his day to depend on to keep his stomach full. He's not feasting sumptuously every day. He's starving. Lazarus is an invalid. He has some sort of condition where he actually has to be carried around and placed in certain areas. And he's put down every day here at the rich man's gate. And while he's laying here at the rich man's gate, what happens? These random dogs come up and they come and they give him the only thing that he receives. Just a licking of these oozing, pussy sores. His status in this world is the lowest of the low. Where's Lazarus? He's at the bottom of the heap. He's not living the dream. He's living a nightmare. Every day, Lazarus lays at the gate of this rich man, just hoping to receive some scraps that may fall off the table where he feasts sumptuously every day, just to put something into his belly. That's all he looks for. Just as the rich, uh, the Lazarus lays every day at the gate of this rich man, every day also that the rich man walks out that gate looking for a new set of clothes or a new set of shoes or something else to fill his life with pleasure and good, 
He sees Lazarus lying right beside his gate in that deplorable state. What does the rich man do? He does nothing for Lazarus. No scraps, no help, no mercy, no love, no kindness, nothing. In fact, probably the rich man looks down at Lazarus and says, Lazarus, you should have just got a job. Just get out there and get your life together and you won't have to lie here like this as a beggar. Lazarus, just pull yourself up and just do something, why don't you? Filled with arrogance and pride as he says that. You see, day after day, the rich man walks past Lazarus and he's not moved with any compassion whatsoever. What's happened to the rich man? He's falling apart as a human being. He's disintegrating. The rich man can't see anybody else other than himself. He's empty of love and he's empty of care for others and he's shriveling up as a person. He's disintegrating. Why is he disintegrating like this? Because he has no time for God as supreme in his life. He doesn't see life through God's eyes of, or God's ways of compassion and love for others. The rich man only sees life through his eyes and what he can do. He doesn't see that God wants to rebuild him into a person again to regain that image again. He's not interested in that. He's falling apart. In time, the same thing happens to both Lazarus and the rich man. They both die. Now take note here about this. Death isn't the end of our life. That seems foreign to us maybe, but death is not the end of our life. Both Lazarus and the rich man are conscious living beings the other side of death. Every human being is an eternal being who will live forever. You will never die in one sense. You will die physically here on earth, but as a conscious being, you will live forever. You will never cease to exist. If someone tells you that about this truth of annihilation, not this truth, but this idea of annihilation, that you cease to exist after death, that is not true. That is not the way God's created us. God has created us to live forever as eternal beings. So where does the rich man go? After he dies, we're told there that he goes to hell because of his willful rejection of God. But let's look at him there while he's in this place called hell. This inward, twisted, disintegrating man is still doing the same thing he does on earth. He hasn't changed. He still wants to boss people around. Look in verse 24, what he says there. And he says, as he's calling out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. I'm thirsty, Abraham. Can you just send Lazarus to get me some water? He still wants to boss him around. His ways haven't reformed in this place called hell. The rich man is still self-centered. He's still rejecting God and he's still falling apart as a human. He still wants to order and boss people around. This will go on forever. And ever and ever. This disintegration, this falling apart as a human being, will never come to an end. It will never be satisfied. We'll just continually, somehow in God's ways, just be falling apart on the inside and disintegrating within. And this continual, as it were, unraveling as a human will torment our souls in unimaginable ways that we can't even think of. Have you ever heard somebody say, I hate the person I'm becoming? Or maybe you've thought that, I hate the person I am now. 
Why is that? Why do we hate the people that we are? Or why do we hate the person we're becoming? This is the implosion, or this is the disintegrating that's taking place on the inside of us. This is the fire that will torment our souls, hating ourselves more and more and more and more. It will be this continual implosion of ourselves, this continual unravelling of us on the inside that will hate ourselves beyond description. Romans 1 actually talks about here when, when God gives them up to their depraved ways. It's a great passage here, picking up the, the picture of the way man falls. It's, it's a picture there where God's wrath is revealed from heaven towards mankind. And what's, part of that wrath is he gives them up to their depraved ways. And this is part of the torment that we will feel forever, being given up to these distorted, defacing ways in our lives. We'll become like this aeroplane that's falling out of the sky uncontrollably with ourselves falling apart to, uh, without end within ourselves. And this gives the rich man here suffering and torment beyond description. As we see evidenced by him in this passage, he says, I'm in anguish in this flame. So what is hell? Hell is sadness. Hell is anger. Hell is fear. Hell is torment. Hell is the continual falling apart of our humanity. Hell is sitting under God's righteous wrath forever. Without end. Without let up. And God will be perfectly right and just to give us over to this punishment because we've rejected him who has made us. So why is Jesus saying this? Why has Luke recorded these words of Jesus here for us? You see, this story is really unique uh, to Luke alone in all of the Gospels. It's not recorded in other Gospels, it's only here in Luke. God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. In case you thought God was some sort of fire-breathing dragon up there who can't wait to just smoke and torch people, that's not who God is. It's God's will that all should repent and be saved. Well, how will we be saved from hell? What's happened? Well, actually, we're told in this passage here what to do. The rich man discovers his die is cast. His future is determined. He's in hell now. There's another thing about hell. There are no second chances with hell. There's no get-out-of-jail passes when you get to hell. When you're in hell, you're there forever. But even in this mentality here, the rich man is wanting to order around Lazarus again. He says this in verses 27 and 28. He says this to Abraham. Then I beg you, Father, to send him, this is Lazarus, to send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Send Lazarus to tell them, warn them, please. I've got five brothers still on earth. I don't want them to come to this place of anguish and torment. Abraham responds in verse 29. But Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. In other words, God is speaking to your brothers right now through Moses and the prophets. Let your brothers hear about hell through them, through the word, through God's word. But no, says the rich man in verse 30. Look what he says again. No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. 
That's not enough. They need a sign. They need a miracle. They need something before their eyes, something spectacular. Someone who rises again from the grave and then they'll believe that there's a real hell. Abraham responds. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, in verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. If they don't listen to God through his messengers... If they don't listen to God through his word, they will neither be convinced by a miracle, by someone coming back from the dead. They'll think it's a hoax. They'll laugh it off somehow. What does this show us? Firstly, this shows us that sin is incredibly deep within us and it does leave us dead to spiritual things. Salvation is a miracle. It's the greatest miracle that can occur in our lives, that God raises people from the dead spiritually to see who Jesus Christ is. And where does salvation come from? It comes from by paying attention to God's word, to hearing him speak to us. This is God's way of revealing himself to us and to warn us about hell, about his justice. You see... Here's the problem with the rich man here and with many, many other people as well. See, the rich man couldn't have got saved by just looking after Lazarus and meeting his needs, giving him the scraps each day and giving him a new suit of clothes every now and again. That wouldn't have saved him because he still would have had a heart that was bent on a life of ease and comfort and gaining all he could through what money could buy him. His heart was deeply entrenched in sinful selfishness. So just fixing up Lazarus wouldn't have fixed the rich man. He needed a heart change, but he refused to see that. And there's even a real sense here that the rich man knew about God. He knew enough to recognise who Abraham was. So he had a real sense of who, God's, who God is. See, the rich man's problem is this. He didn't take God's word seriously. He didn't take God's word seriously. He went to church for years maybe, sat in synagogue every Saturday. But he never took God's word seriously. He just let it bounce off. He just sat there planning his next weekend away. He didn't take the word of God truly. The rich man had heard many people talk about God, but he just tuned out. He didn't take it seriously. That wasn't for him. He had more important things to think about here and now than take God's word seriously. How many people are like that today? How many people are around us who don't take God seriously? The Bible is there explaining to us loud and clear about who God is, about his justice, about his love, about his compassion, about his holiness. But we don't take it seriously we have bibles sitting on our shelves and often we don't even read what god is telling us warning us about for many the gospel just sounds like white noise just background humdrum not listening not taking it seriously and even if a miracle turned up in front of them such as a dead person coming to life, they are so dead in their sin and so not taking God seriously, they'll just be sceptics and think it's all a hoax. What is Jesus saying today? As he gives us this 
true story here of Lazarus and the rich man? Jesus is saying this. He says, you're traveling on a road at 100 kilometers an hour. And there's a cliff coming at you that you cannot see. It's a hairpin bend and you'll never make it. You need to stop. Otherwise you'll go hurtling off that cliff into the abyss called eternity. What is Jesus doing? Jesus stands on that road today in this story and he's holding up a sign. He's holding up a sign. He's warning us, stop, take my word seriously. I'm telling you, justice is coming. Don't write it off. Don't let it fall on deaf ears. Take my word seriously. God is a God of justice. God is a God of holiness. God is a God who is righteous. I've come to tell you there's an eternal disaster coming. Take it seriously. What is this passage to us? This is God's grace. This is his truth. What are you going to do? Just keep checking your social media and just let it bounce off? What are you going to do? Plan the next weekend away and forget all about what God is saying? Are you going to hear it again and just let it fall on deaf ears? Take God's word seriously. Receive the grace and the compassion that he's giving to us through this warning passage of hell. Be saved by what Christ has done. Be saved by his blood being shed on the cross. Know that you are safe and secure in him. Jesus, filled with love and compassion, comes today to warn us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you, we praise you today for Luke chapter 16. God, we thank you that you are a gracious, loving, holy, just God. Hell is a fearful place. Sitting under God's eternal wrath, never abating. Hell is a fearful place as we disintegrate as depraved human beings with no restraint on our lives. We can't imagine what that will be like, Lord. But we are getting a clear enough picture from your word today. God, I pray, please let your spirit take this truth today as uncomfortable as it is, but such an important part of the gospel. I pray, Holy Spirit, please take that word today. Lift scales from eyes. Help people to take your word seriously to think about who you are, to think about what you're saying to us today, to take hold of the offer of salvation that you give to us. And God, I pray, do that work for your glory and for your praise. What a gracious God that you are, that you would warn us. Father, I thank you for that now and ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, if you've been on for the first time today online, really thank you for that. And if you are feeling um, disturbed, uncomfortable, upset about uh, this truth about hell, please, please contact us. Uh, I would love to connect with you and have a discussion with you. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at 
info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.